Welcome to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. In this podcast, I chat to athletes, coaches, and industry professionals about their sporting journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. Guests range from Olympians to the everyday lover of sport, but the message stays the same. There is so much more to sport than what meets the eye. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify so you don't miss the release of each new episode. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. I'd love to hear from you. Today, we are joined by the amazing Sarah Carley. Now, that name may sound familiar. Sarah is recently back from competing at the Tokyo Olympics, but her remarkable recovery from a life-threatening freak accident in February five months out from the Olympics, is something that won over hearts all around Australia. In this episode, you'll hear how Sarah's athletics journey started, all the way to how she found her way to the start line in Tokyo for the 400 metre hurdles. Something that I found really incredible is Sarah's attitude towards sport. Humble and positive, Sarah has such an incredible outlook in life, and this makes me so grateful to be able to share this chat with you. Just a reminder, if you like this episode, the best way you can support this podcast is to hit subscribe or follow wherever you are listening from. If you're feeling extra generous then sending it on to a friend or family member or leaving a review would make my day. If you aren't already following us on Instagram, you are missing out on a lot of exclusive content and little sneak peeks. That's enough for me. Let's hear from Sarah. You are just back from your very first Olympics. Can you tell us a little bit about your sport, which is athletics, and how you got into it? So I'm a track and field athlete. Specifically, I'm a 400-meter hurdler, and I just competed at the Tokyo Olympics. And like I said, that's my first Olympics. I was on debut. I started athletics when I was in the under-9s. I remember that the, in the newsletter at my primary school, there was sort of like a, an ad that came in for Wollongong City Little Athletics. And my mum was kind of like, do you guys want to try it? And me and I'm, I have a twin sister and we both sort of jumped on it and we kind of always did everything together. So we both started. Um, and I think that gave me the opportunity to try a bunch of different disciplines within athletics. And from there, I just sort of, I started actually as a distance runner because I was so tiny growing up. I dabbled briefly in hurdles, but I was too small. So we kind of, I kind of gave it away for a few years. And then I met my coach, Mel Smith, when I was 15. And I had a bit of success in the 200 meter hurdles just through the school system. And after meeting her, um, I progressed to the 400 meter hurdles. And I guess the rest is kind of history. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. And was there a moment that you were like, yes, this is for me? Because I know you took a step back from like competitive elite athletics somewhere after high school and then you made your comeback was there a moment that you're like yes like I want to go back on the track I had a pretty successful junior career I went to world youth and world juniors and I when I went to world juniors I got a navicular stress fraction when I was over there so I had to watch from the sidelines and I it was kind of at that point that I took a massive step back from my sport I think you know, being really good growing up and thinking that your sport was everything and then realizing I didn't have a backup plan, like at the age of 17, I was kind of, that was a big smack in the face. So yeah, I took a massive step back. I kept running, but I kind of lost that, that passion that a lot of athletes talk about. And I actually remember there was one race, I think it was in, it was nationals of 2016 and I had 
sort of thrown together, I think about nine weeks of decent training over the uni break. Mm -hmm. And I remember I really wanted to make the final at nationals and I was standing on the track and I saw the heat before me and all the times come up. And I was like, all right, I have to run under a minute, which sounds crazy now. Like it was, wasn't even that long ago, but I think that I was at that point that I kind of started to feel that like adrenaline and that desire to like do well. I kind of up, up until like that point over the last, like the years from the age of kind of like 17 to that point, I was kind of, I didn't really care how I went, but that was probably like the one I remember. And I remember it quite clearly that I was like, okay, I actually care again. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I got that back that I think it was like that hunger to to win almost. Yeah. How did that feel? Because I was a swimmer growing up and I lost the the spark and the passion for it. And then it took a few years to get it back. And I know that moment when I had had that back, I was so pleased with myself that I was like, yes, like I love my sport again. How did that feel for you? Uh, it was really exciting because I think it was just so exciting because I had lost it and mm-hmm. I... I didn't know, like, you, you don't know how to get it back. And I think for me, kind of finally getting that back and knowing what it meant for me was, yeah, it was just really exciting. Yeah. Did it make you appreciate it a little bit more? Because you knew what it was like to live kind of without that spark. Oh, yeah. And I think I think that's what made it um, so exciting that I'd finally gotten it back because I had had it previously and mm-hmm. I knew what I was capable of with it. And then getting it, finally getting it back, it kind of um, like reignited that like the ambition and the motivation. And like, even when I, when I took that into that off season, um, I was so appreciative of to finally have it back again. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's something that kind of is taken for granted until it's gone. And then you, yeah, like you said, you don't know how to get it back. So it's yeah, amazing that you've got it back. And now, now you're back from your first Olympics, but has there been any like other significant milestones, either your junior career, or I know there was a certainly big one this year along your journey. Yeah. So I got my Olympic qualifier in December of 2020. I was in career best shape. I ran a 55.0, just at a local comp in Bankstown. And then at the end of February, I had a really bad accident in the gym, which kind of put a halt on a lot of things. Just to like be a bit more specific, I was stepping up into a box with a bar on my back mm-hmm. and I slipped and fell forward um, and cut sort of my chin open and the bar came down on my neck. And my partner, he picked me up and took me to hospital um, and everything looked good. And after further testing, I actually had a seizure when I was in there. Um, oh God. Yeah. And that, that prompted further testing and they worked out that I had dissected my carotid artery, which is a tear in the wall of the main artery that supplies blood to your brain and your neck. So, and I had to have sort of emergency surgery. And after that, they were like, okay, no exercise for five months. So that was the end of February and the Olympics was in July. July. (laughs) Yeah. So five months from that point, it was like pretty much the Olympics is off the uh, table for me. Oh my gosh. What, how like terrifying that could be. Cause like that is a life and death injury that that you sustained and it was a freak accident what was it like being in the hospital kind of going oh I don't know what's wrong and then what was it like in that moment they said five months you know not you can't exercise so I think so initially kind of when I had the seizure and I woke up we didn't no one really knew what was going on and Mm -hmm. I remember I sort of woke up much like in a movie and I was like getting wheeled through the hospital and I could just see the lights like 
coming like and I obviously I was laying down and that's yeah. sort of when I come to and they like just wheeled me into a CT machine so prior to the seizure I was getting discharged and I was getting sent home oh and me and my partner were like joking I was like because it was a Thursday I was like I reckon I could get two days off work for this <laughs> like four-day weekend and then like I've woken up and everyone's rushing and I could like see it on the faces of the nurses that something really bad had happened but no one was telling me so at that point I was obviously like thinking the worst and starting to freak out a little bit because it's just like so confronting to like see the because you can see it in everyone's eyes that Mm -hmm. no one knows what's going on but it's really bad so I guess waking up and being told five months like yes it was really devastating but the thoughts that I was having in that moment were kind of like oh my god like is it my spine like am I gonna run like yeah ever again so as much as it was like devastating at that point, like the feelings that I, were ha- I was having like prior to surgery were worse. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So it's kind it of a relief. Like, <laughs> almost like at that point, like again, devastating, but almost like, okay, five months, like I will one day move on from this. Yeah. Like, and that was sort of the most important thing for me in my recovery. Oh, wow. Like what an amazing attitude to have so quickly. Cause I know I've never been in that position, but like, you'd think that your brain would go straight to, oh my God, like that's the Olympics out. Like I can't go to the Olympics, but you kind of turned it around and you're like, oh, like I could potentially run again. It's going to be fine. Like my heart's broken, but it's fine. Like I, I can't, that's so, that's so amazing. Like how strong are you mentally to think of that? Thank you. And like, you've summarized it quite well. And the nurses and doctors were so fantastic. And one of the nurses said to me um, before I went into surgery, she said, once they kind of diagnosed it, she goes, you like, once this is over, it'll be a blimp in your life and you will move on. And I think like having people tell me that it kind of like brings it back to mm-hmm. kind of like, it could be worse. Yeah, definitely. So. Well, yeah, you could potentially die from it. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Gosh, you're so, yeah, so lucky that, not that you did have that seizure, but lucky that you didn't get sent home and discharged and that they were able to pick up on it. Oh, yeah. And I think it's it's quite a rare injury, but I did a lot of sort of, there isn't much literature on this kind of injury, but from what I have read, I think people, they always seem to send people home because it's really hard to pick up. Like mm-hmm. having a seizure is actually not common with this kind of injury, from what wow. I've read, <laughs> not that I'm, I'm not an expert. I don't know anything like full disclosure, but it sounds like the fact that they picked it up. I was very lucky. Yeah. And then I did a little bit of, um, there's some articles, amazing articles. I know the news were talking about your story just before you were competing. And they, again, when you were lining up for your heats, they, they went through it again. So you couldn't even walk down your driveway in March. So that's, you know, just after the injury. And then in April, you run your first 100 metres. Like, what did that feel like to go two, three, two months, I guess, after that injury that you were running again? How did that feel? I remember the first time I jogged, I was with my partner and I, I made him come with me because I was I was a little bit scared in the beginning just because I could feel that my body wasn't right mm-hmm. like when I first started to run. So I just brought him with me just to make sure like nothing happened. But I remember the first time I jogged hundred meters and I just felt so good. And just like, this sounds so weird, but like just feeling like the wind, like the wind on your face kind of as you're running, it was yep. just 
so exciting. But then I was quickly kind of brought back down because my heart rate spiked up real quickly. And I was like, no, no, bring it back down because I was on a, they progressively gave me a max working heart rate. And every week I had to stick to it. And I remember it kind of jumped up really quickly. (laughs) And I thought that I'd be able to do more, but I couldn't. So it, it was a really great feeling, but also like a massive reminder of that I still had so far to go. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was a bit of a reality check. Be like, yes, I can do this, but probably don't do it again right now because it's maybe not the best thing for my health. Yeah. And there was a, and it, there was a lot of that in my recovery where I get that excitement and, you know, I just want to keep going. And like, that was the hardest thing. I felt good. Like mm-hmm. there wasn't any point in the recovery. And I know sometimes when you come back from an injury, like you feel really sluggish and like you're finding it really difficult, but I felt really good. So it was almost like it, like at some points I was like, this, this isn't real, like doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Like, especially sort of once I started to run, I was just feeling really good. And I had, to, I had to be like, no, you need to pull back here because the consequences um, can be really bad for you. Yeah. And what self-control, because I know I've been injured before and I didn't have that <laughs> self-talk in my head to go, no, pull back. It, like you feel good, but pull back because it's not the best thing. And never at all was my you know long-term health in danger it was just you know a shoulder or something but yeah that's such good self-control to have that and go no pull to back like I know it's a long journey but pull back that's oh (laughs) how are you so mentally strong oh I think my um my surgeon he he was very upfront with me and the surgeon that I guess saved my life I guess best thing to say he absolutely fantastic and Athletics Australia's doctor, he sort of jumped in and helped. Um, he was a big part of the process too. And I think they were very upfront with me of the consequences. Mm. And I don't know whether they were using like a scare tactic because it worked because I think they understand what athletes are like and they know that we're not very good at being told what, not what to do, but when you're coming back from an injury, it can be really difficult. Like you said, like yeah. you just want to keep going. But I think I knew, I knew what was at stake. So I almost didn't not have a choice, but I knew how, like, I knew what the consequences were. So yeah, I had to make sure I did the right thing. And like my safety was always first. That was, that's probably been the biggest thing. Yeah. I love athletics, that. Athletic second, my safety first. That's such a good attitude. And, you know, in 20 years time, you might not be competing in athletics anymore. I'm going to say 20 years time because it gives you a nice yeah. buffer. <laughs> oh God, I think I'll be done by then. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you still want to be able to potentially have kids or have a fulfilling active life. And if you did push, I guess, in the first few months, then you couldn't do that. It could be, you know, in that life and death situation again. So it's really cool that you were able to put it back in perspective and put your health and safety first and athletic second and it certainly did pay off (laughs) yeah and I had I had a lot of people in my I think like my family were very I think they were a bit worried that I was going to not listen to the medical advice that I was given but I I like I had to like I had to but no I had everyone reminded me they're like Sarah the Olympics doesn't matter like you need to do the right thing and and like I did so (laughs) yeah so did you you already qualified for it but did they kind of how did the decision come that you had made the team? Like, when did that come about? Like medically cleared, if that makes sense. So like you said, I had qualified in December of 2020. So I had to prove fitness before the end of the selection period. So the Mm -hmm. 30th of of June, I had to prove fitness. And that's something that 
any athlete that sort of run a qualifier and has been injured has to do. So there was a race in Townsville on the 18th of June. So I kind of had to race at that point just to show that I could get around the track. So I got cleared by my surgeon six days before. So kind of every four weeks you get a scan, either an MRI, a CT, an ultrasound, um, just to keep an eye on things. And as we sort of upped the training Mm -hmm. and yeah, so six days before I got cleared and then I raced and it was kind of at that point that were like, all right, this is like, it's pretty much a given at that point. What did that moment feel like? Because yes, you put your health and your safety first, but you're also, you know, still working towards Tokyo, just doing all the work so that you could get there. What did that moment feel like going, yes, I'm like well enough to race at the Olympics? Because that's such a huge achievement, but then to overcome what you did overcome, like did it make it a bit sweeter? I was also like really frustrated when I did race because... Like when you take all that time off, it smacks you in the face that you've taken all that time off. So up until that point, I was like, and I think a lot of athletes, maybe when they do come back from injury, they think it might not have impacted them as much as it had. Mm -hmm. And when I raced and like when I've come from being in PB shape to running probably one of the worst times I've run in years, yes, I've had all this time off and I had this massive thing happen, but I was also so frustrated because I was like, I have, I have six weeks to get from here to be running at the Olympics and I have a lot of work to do. So it was almost a lot of frustration and a little bit of relief too, I guess, (laughs) that I could get around the track. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, true. Did the relief more come when you were at the Olympics? Cause then you'd have that extra six weeks to get in a bit more shape. Yeah. I think after I raced at the Olympics, I afterwards, I think um, my, my, I was really lucky. My coach was able to come and I think, it was a massive relief to finish and kind of I felt like it once I ran at the Olympics and the race was over, that's it. I've, I can I can move on now from this. Like the last six months have been about getting ready for the Olympics and I've done that and now I can move on and just forget about this whole kind of <laughs> this <laughs> little blip. About it. Yeah, exactly. Like and move move on with my life. And I think that's kind of what running at the Olympics meant. It's it's over, I've done it and I can move on. Yeah, and what an amazing achievement because I think it was the the comeback story of the whole <laughs> the whole kind of Olympics. Like your name and your story was certainly televised a lot. And it was like I don't think anyone really cared where you placed or cared how it went and I know like you said frustrating that you might not have got the PB and stuff like that but it was the fact that you were standing there on the start line was such a miracle in itself and not just a miracle like a lot of hard work went into it but it was yeah such a feel-good story. Oh thank you and I've had like a lot of people kind of say that and it kind of reminds me of what I kind of what it did take to get there and I guess I'm more than a number and like the number that like the number that I got when I crossed the line like Mm. it's not and I know that that's not a reflection of me as an athlete um, but I guess it is a reflection of kind of how hard it was for me to get back and the fact that I was able to get around in like somewhat of a decent time yeah it's just again it's the athlete in me we can't help it like I, I I think it's also it's made me realize how much I love athletics as well like and I guess in the like that earlier question you asked like is there a point that kind of sparked that passion I think this whole situation has like reignited even further like how much I want to run 
Oh, that's amazing. And it's really exciting for the future as well. Like it, we've got Com Games next year and then the Olympics is, an, you know, only three years away. So it, I think it's going to be very bright for you. <laughs> oh, thank you. And I just like having this happen, the only thing that mattered to me the whole time was when can I run? When can I run? Like nothing else really mattered. So to have that mentality going into the next sort of three years towards Paris, it's really exciting. Yeah, definitely. And we've, you know, spoken about some of that hardship that you've gone through, but has there been a benefit sports provided you that's kind of transferred over to other avenues? So not your sporting Sarah, but your everyday Sarah? Um, I think resilience, definitely. And I know a lot of athletes will talk about that. And I, to, to come back from a setback or a loss, like in sport, you lose more times than you ever win. And to kind of look at that loss and learn from it, mm-hmm. that is huge. And I have put that into my working career so many times. And to have that skill set really early on is so important. I think being a team player, uh, like I know it's an individual sport, but then, you know, being happy for a win for someone in your squad it's and that's not like a personal win of yours but being like having that excitement for them that's like I've I'm so excited when the girls in my squad do well in a PB and I feel like that's my win yeah and even though it is an individual sport and I've transferred again transferred that into my working life as well being happy for others when they I know get a promotion or do really well or get praise yeah, like I'm feeling like someone else's win is not your loss. I think that's a really important skill to have. Yeah, definitely. And it's something that you wouldn't really think that individual sports have. Like I know I feel the exact same way. Like I would cheer for people who weren't even in my swim club, but I was friends with at school kind of thing. And I was so excited for them, whether they bet someone from my club or whatever. But I'd be like, no, they're, like, they're my friend and I'm so stoked for them. And Uh, Yeah, I think having that mentality does help, especially when you're at work and you see great things happening to other people around you. And it doesn't, it's not a reflection on you as a person, but it's how great they've done and you get to be genuinely happy for them. That's, yeah, certainly a skill that is great. Yeah, it can can be really hard when you see someone like get a promotion or get praise at work and like you don't, but being like genuinely happy for them, that's something that I've learned from sport. So, and like, and I'm, I'm like anyone in my squad runs a PB and I'm so stoked for them. <laughs> and it makes it easy on you because you don't have to feel those negative feelings then. Yeah, exactly. And like, and that doesn't bring you down by mm-hmm. having that mentality as well. Yeah. Oh, I really, really like that. That's awesome. And yeah. obviously you've learned a lot of resilience, but there's their lesson that you've learned along the way that you'd maybe tell your younger self or tell someone up and coming. I think focus on what you're doing. I know you can really get caught up on what everyone else is doing or like someone's doing this at training or this is working for them. I think learning what's right for you and what works for you and the environment that makes you the best athlete you can be. I think that's really important. I, in my career have worked out what kind of environment I need to be in to succeed. Um, And it's taken me a few years to work that out, but I think that is super important for an athlete to know what works for you. It takes a little bit of that pressure off of the comparison because you're like, oh yeah, you know, you can be, like you said before, genuinely happy for someone succeeding in maybe a different environment, but you're like, yeah, but I don't need to do it that way because that doesn't work for me or that doesn't, you know, spark the joy or get the best out of me. Yeah. And for me, like, 
being at home with my family and my partner and my friends, that's an environment where I work my best. And, you know, it can be really hard when you see other athletes sort of living and training or going other in other, like to other places. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that's, I being at home with me and being with my family is so important. So, and I know that what's, that's what works. Yeah. With that being said, like, obviously you couldn't have your family in Tokyo with you. What was that like then? Cause you know, that that's the environment that you thrive in. How, how did you manage that? Um, well, I was really lucky. My coach, she was selected to be the team hurdles coach. So she got to come. So having her there was like having that piece of home with me and mm-hmm. that familiar person with me. That was probably, it, it, it kind of just felt like it was me and her, like we always do, just in yeah. a bigger, <laughs> just in a bigger setting. Yeah. And I guess with Tokyo, the time difference wasn't so dramatic. So you, did you get to chat with family and friends from home often? Oh yeah, like I was zooming and like FaceTiming and talking to everyone. So and like we I was at home up until four days before my event. So we were supposed to go to Cairns, but we didn't oh, get to you missed yeah, we, that camp. Yeah, so we got caught up in Sydney lockdown. I was one of the New South Wales athletes. And so we didn't get to go. So I watched the opening ceremony from my lounge room at home in Australia. So and then four days later I was on the track. So oh my gosh. Yeah. So like at the time it was very upsetting. So I really wanted to go to Cairns and be with the team, but kind of reflecting back, I'm like, it might've actually been a good thing because by the time I'd raced, I'd only been away three days. Like that's nothing. Yeah. That, yeah. That's really the same as kind of a interstate meet, maybe a little bit longer, but yeah. Wow. That's amazing. yeah. Yeah. Like you'd go away for a comp for three days. Like, like, that's an easy amount of time. Yeah. So how did it feel? You had to watch the opening ceremony from your couch with you. It's kind of nice with your family. You got to do that. Yeah. But how did it feel being able to walk at the closing ceremony? Because I saw, uh, you've been on the news <laughs> on someone's <laughs> shoulders. It was Ash's shoulders. Uh, yeah. 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 I was very lucky that I got to stay. Generally, sort of, you had to leave within two days of your final because mm-hmm. of the whole COVID thing. One of the girls in the relay had, she tore her hammy just before. And so they asked me to stay on as a reserve. So yeah. that's why so I was there. I was in the village for two weeks. So oh. I was, yeah. So I, so I had just, I stayed um, as a relay reserve and she ended up amazingly was able to run. So yeah, I was, so I originally wasn't, staying for the closing so it was almost like a bit of a bonus um, yeah it was like an exciting end to like what has been a really tough five months for me and it was something that I wouldn't have been able to do unless I got asked to stay as a reserve yeah so the closing ceremony was awesome because I didn't think that I was going to go yeah oh and it looked very just relief on athletes faces I think like it just was really happy and it was a it was a good vibe like the lead up for every single person in every single country had been maybe typically a little bit more challenging than it would have been in say for Rio but yeah seeing all those athletes walk at the closing ceremony was you know one of the highlights (laughs) from the few weeks yeah I think I definitely think it was a highlight and you know we'd had such good results at the track the few days before so like the morale on the team was so high everyone was super excited yeah, and it was probably like the only time we kind of got to kind of be all together mm-hmm. and just like let our hair down a little bit. Um, I think because of COVID, it was so strict throughout the whole time we were there. Um, again, like everything was above board. Everyone had masks on for the closing and stuff. But yeah, it was just good to kind of as a team just enjoy the experience. 
Yeah, definitely. And in saying that, what was your kind of highlight of the games? What was your favorite part? Uh, I was really lucky. I got to go and watch Nicola McDermott in the high jump final. Mm-hmm. Watching her go over 202, I honestly had goosebumps watching her jump and watching her at the 204 attempt. And like, I swear that bar, I swear the bar did not, I swear she didn't <laughs> hit it. So that was just so awesome. And we had a big group of us watching and cheering. That was, I think that was my highlight. Yeah. Sure. Oh, that's, that just goes back to what you said before. Like your highlight of your games wasn't even about you. It was watching one of your, you know, teammates. And I think that's an amazing attitude to be able to have is go, you know, the highlight of the whole experience was watching someone else get an amazing result. That's, that's so awesome, Sarah. Oh, thank you. No, I think that if you've met her, like you couldn't not be happy for her. Oh, just she, even watching her. <laughs> yeah, like so inspiring. So definitely pumped up the entire team. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was on, was the marathon on somewhere in that event too. I know there was a bit of a battle of our TV remote at one stage. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might've been the 10K, but I was just like, no, no, I want to watch the high jump. <laughs> Did you put your foot down? Who oh, won? yeah, I won that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Good, good. I took the snacks hostage and I won that. <laughs> oh, that's that. That's an easy way to win. Yeah, definitely. So going to your event, so in your heat, someone false started. What was that kind of like having, I know it's not common in athletics, but it's, you know, somewhat common in athletics that people false start. But what did it feel like? You know, you've obviously got the pre-race nerves and you're feeling like, all right, we're ready to go. You're pumped up. How does it feel when you have to kind of start that again? So actually someone, the race before me, the girl tripped just before the hurdle and hit the first hurdle. Oh no! I had, so I saw that happen as I was walking down the hundred straight. Mm-hmm. And then, so that was a bit in my head and like was able to push that out. And then ha- having someone false start, is really nerve wracking. And I knew I hadn't false started, but you always have that fear of, oh my God, was it me? Mm-hmm. So there was a couple of seconds where I was like, please don't move me, please. So that was kind of scary because I was like, after everything, I did not, like, I definitely didn't false start. But like, it's just, I've had people false start before and you just gotta, you just gotta push it out. It's part so, of the and sport. Of course it, yeah. I'm probably, I, I think my second start was probably a tad slower because just, just to be, just to be sure. Yeah. But no, I think it happens. So you're just going to push it out of your mind and don't think about it. Yeah, definitely. I know with swimming, it's, I guess it's a little bit different. Um, They don't usually call you back. Like I was watching a fair bit of it and I think it was one of the hundred meters. They false started like four times in a row. And I was like, wow, like that's insane that, this keeps happening. And I was like, why don't they just kind of like let them finish the race and then just disqualify them after it's like, it's kind of unfair for all the other athletes that you have to keep restarting. But yeah. How does that kind of work? I guess I'm a little bit unfamiliar with the athletic side of that rule. How, how do you feel with that? I think in like a 400 hurdles, if someone false starts, you're not going to see it Mm. and it's probably not going to affect you as much, but if you're like in a hundred, and someone false starts, it like could put you off because you're like you're shoulder to shoulder with them. True. So I'm not sure how that would affect a sprinter. But for us, like I said, it's not really going to affect you as much because you, you, you're not going to see them or feel them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's hard. I'm really lucky that I've touched wood. I'm not even going to say that I've not false <laughs> But Yeah, I don't know. I just, I think it's just always been there and you know it's a rule. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, I guess it's kind of a good thing 
that's kind of, sports are a little bit different because you can kind of watch and appreciate and you go, oh, wow, like that must be so tough. And I'm coming from a, a racing sport where you have your own lanes kind of thing. And it's a similar thing. You start on the, on the go and you finish when you finish, but it's cool to see the di- different little parts of sports and how they differ. Yeah. And how they make decisions or <laughs> like how it impacts. Yeah. I bet I get, and that would even differ from event to event as yeah. well. Like, and I, at Tokyo, there were so many false starts, like a lot. And even a lot of people commented how many false starts there were. Yeah. Yeah. So I, like, I was, maybe that's why I thought of that, that thing. Cause I was like, oh, that's so, like, why do they keep false starting? Like what's going on? They must've just been jitters. Like that's usually what causes false starts. It's just like you're anticipating the go. <laughs> from what I've been told, the the blocks have sensor pads in them mm-hmm. so I and apparently I don't know how true this is you can turn the sensitivity up so oh. I don't know whether that had because if you sort of if you're on the blocks and you kind of move they might that take could, that as a false start yeah or it could trigger the sensors so I don't know whether that is possibly why because yeah. the tech, instead of having someone's eye it's like mm-hmm. actual technology yeah well that's very interesting like it kind of goes into the future of sport but I'll ask that later (laughs) yeah Um, have you been involved in a project where sport's been used to develop the community oh I've done like just I think little athletics in general I've you know been a part of little athletics for a long time I think that is a really community-based sort of event or like I guess initiative and seeing how big it is for the younger kids Mm -hmm. Um, I just think being a part of little athletics in general, um, I mean, there's nothing kind of like specific in terms of my sport where I've been a part of like a huge community event, but yeah, just athletics in general, like the amount of friends that I have made or the amount of people that I know that are like, I do little athletics or things like that is pretty awesome. Yeah. And I think you're, especially now, like after the amazing comeback that you've had from the injury, and I don't want that to ever define you and box you in, but that is such an inspiration, especially since it was televised so much to little kids and to even adults who maybe are overcoming a little bit of a hardship. Like they can go, well, you know what? If if Sarah can have a, such a major injury and then five months later race at the Olympics, well, I can sure as hell, you know, do a lap of the block or something. Yeah, and I've had, I've actually had a few people message me, young athletes and say they've been struggling with injury or they've had, surgery on something can say you know like I saw what happened to you and it sort of helped me kind of get through this really hard period and I've zoomed a lot of schools actually a few schools like some little some primary school kids I did a um, a zoom with a school like a local school where I live and they were just so excited and some of the questions are like really good from these you know 10 year old kids so and they're just like they're so excited which is really cool. Yeah, seeing the excitement. I guess I never really experienced it in previous Olympics because I kind of maybe was that excited little kid. But yeah, you know, in the position that I am now and, you know, getting to see hundreds of kids a week, I know when we did start back in the, somewhere in the middle of the Olympics, <laughs> we were back to work for like a week. Uh, the kids were so, so stoked and they're like, oh, did you see this? Did you see that? And they, they've been watching the Olympics in their classrooms and it's been really motivational for them and not even just in the sport that they maybe play but something like swimming lessons I've been able to go 
oh, can you swim like Ariana Titmus was just, you know, <laughs> winning golds left, right and centre at that point. And uh, I was like, oh, do you reckon Arnie pushes off the wall like that? And then it develops them. Like they have that hero to look up to and we can kind of use it as a little bit of a bribery. No, I, and I really like that. And when they've, it's visual and they mm-hmm. can see that person, I, that's really important too. But I, I really like that example, actually. <laughs> How does Arnie push off the wall like that? <laughs> yeah, and they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> but I've used, um, does, do, do the swimmers stop mid-race? Do they stop in the middle of the lap? Because they keep, <laughs> the little ones keep stopping. And I'm like, excuse me, that's not how we do it. Or like, um, we don't stop. Do they finish the the swimming event or like whatever at the wall or do they finish halfway through the lap or like a meter out and they're like oh at the wall I'm like well why did you finish at the black tee like what are you doing <laughs> and that's and it's good that they can see that and they go okay yeah no I understand it's yeah. like a really good way of kind of um, getting them to see it yeah and it's that transfers over to every single sport like every single I don't know really too many coaches from other sports, but they get to use that. Like, do you reckon this sporting hero is doing this? Or do you reckon this person would do that? And it's, yeah, definitely a little bit of bribery and it's, <laughs> it's great. No, it's good. It's like a, it's like a positive, positive bribery. <laughs> <laughs> positive role model. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's probably, yeah. Probably, probably not bribery is probably not the right word. <laughs> so where do you, and this has come because I guess the year that we've, the two years now, was a year now it's two years that we've had sports kind of changed a little bit in terms of where it's going and where it has been but where do you see the future of sport either athletics or sport in general I think a lot of people and I've spoken to a lot of people about this having a lot of sport be cancelled like all the soccer comps are being cancelled like like a lot of my friends who do sport have had Mm -hmm. it taken away from them almost and even now like everyone's in lockdown they've cancelled whole seasons I think once I'm, I'm hoping that this doesn't deter people from sport because they've like had a period without it. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that it sort of encourages people to go, oh, this is what my life looks like without it. And I guess with running, like you see a lot of people have just started running now because they can't play team sports at the moment. So that could be a positive, like it gets people into just general or casual running um, I don't really know. It's, it's going to be really, it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of, I guess, COVID or the future of the sport looks like. I'm hoping, and even in 400 hurdles, I'm hoping that more kids get involved in the, the discipline specifically because we need, we need more juniors. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go, guys. Like it's an undersaturated event. So it might be, yeah. it might be, a, you know, you've got a bit more potential. I know in swimming, certainly the 200 meter butterfly might've been a little bit easier to make a team because it was undersaturated at a certain point. So yeah, is, is 400 hurdles the place to be in the next few years? I, I really hope so. Like we have some fantastic, you know, juniors coming up that I'm hoping stay with it. Like I know between that age of sort of 18 to 22, like we lose a lot of athletes. Mm-hmm. So I'm really hoping we have more come up or more just try it. So like the 400 hurdles, you don't, it doesn't start till 16, the under 16s, I think, mm-hmm. or 16 years. So I'm hoping we get more guys tried at that point and stick with it. Yeah, and that would be very bright because it's you see it in the events that Australia does really well at. It's actually like the depth just in Australia and in that domestic competition is so deep that it kind of pushes these athletes and then they're able to perform on that world stage. And yeah, that, that's certainly very exciting to be able to 
push kids towards the events that might not have that depth yet but in you know when Brisbane comes along and what is it 2032 then then we've got a very good shot (laughs) yes so I think you know if those guys start 16 so they start now they'll be 26 they'll be my age at that point so anyone who's sort of that 14 15 age who wants to give 400 hurdles a try I definitely recommend it oh that's awesome I know that I uh, now have my favorite 400 meter hurdler and I'm going to be cheering you on in the future so thank you thank you so much for you know spending your Sunday morning with me and I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your incredible journey thank you and I appreciate your time as well it's been it's been fun Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. This is a completely independent podcast that has been created to share the journey and lessons of top level sporting professionals, but also your everyday lover of sport. If you liked this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Until next time.